This is week eight um, of the way of faith. We've been uh, taking steps along the way to try and describe uh, what we think are the basic elements uh, of the Christian faith. Not, I should just say right from the off, not because we think if you tick all these boxes, uh, that will, you know, that will be your Christian life all sorted. We're aware, and I'm particularly aware this week, of um, the complexities of our lives and that faith is something we work out every day. But we wanted to give you something to hang your hats on, particularly if you're watching in for the first time or if you're just thinking I've not been at church for ages and it's good to be reminded of what it is. So those are, the, those are our, our motivations. This week, it's communion. Uh, that, that thing that we do, and we will do it later on, and we have done for thousands of years as Christians, where we, we go to the altar and... Um, we take a wafer, or we take a little bit of bread, and uh, somebody reads out a prayer, usually at the end of one of the Gospels, and we take wine, and we remember Jesus. Now, the question that I think pops up it's, is this. Certainly, certainly, it pops up if you are looking in on this service, or you're looking in on, on Christians. And I think maybe it pops up as well, even if you are a Christian, it might pop into your head every now and again. Why, why do we do this? What does, this, what does this do for us? How, how does this help? In a, world, uh, in a world that seems to be run by um, capitalism and it's about career and it's about getting some money in and it's about all this stuff, why do we, how does this help? What does this do? Why do we do it? Why do Christians do it? So that's, that's the question. And I'm, I want to try and explain uh, Explain what communion is, and then say why I think it's really critical for our lives. So the, the first thing to say, I think, communion, hold on to this, communion is a meal. Uh, food is very much at the heart of God's story. Uh, so right at the beginning, one of the first things God says to mankind, not the very first thing, be interested to find out, have a look in Genesis 1, what the first thing God says uh, to mankind is, but one of the first things he says, one of the first things he says when he, when he plunks them in the Garden of Eden, it's a lovely verse, and I'm often very glad to hear it, it says, you are free to eat. Isn't that lovely? That lovely idea, that lovely expression, those words of God, you are free to eat. Um, and then he goes on to say, but don't, don't, don't eat that, don't eat this thing. So the, the first instruction God gives in the Garden of Eden, you are free to eat, have a look around, and you are free to eat. So it tells us that food is, is important. Second thing, as, 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 the, as the story goes on, it's, it's laden uh, with stories about food and meals. Uh, there's a story over a meal. So God, God promises a man called Abraham a people. This, he, he says to him, you're going to have... You're going to have a people that's going to yeah, number the, you know, the stars in the sky and the, and the sand on the seashore. You're going to, you're going to have a people that, that's going to be, you know, and, and Abraham at this point is an old man and his wife, Sarah, is, is very old and she laughs at this point. But, but God promises Abraham this, this legacy over a meal. And in ancient Near Eastern culture, this is hugely significant. You make a promise you make a promise over a meal. You make a promise as you break bread. It's like a covenant. Still today in Jerusalem, if, if, if people gather around a table and somebody says, oh, I'll be back to see you, or I, 
I promise to do this, I promise to do that. If, it's, if it happens over a dinner table, it's kind of covenantal in that sense because you don't just eat with anybody. So one day, God meets with Abraham around the dinner table. This is what it says, Genesis 15. Have a look if you don't believe me. And promises Abraham a people over a meal. This story goes on, the story of the meal. This people um, grow and prosper. God keeps his promise, but eventually fall into the hands uh, of the Egyptians. It goes, it goes south, and they're enslaved there. And God's plan of rescue, the way he gets this people out via his servant Moses, is what? It's a meal. God says to them, in effect, get, get the oven on. Go and, go and get a lamb, sacrifice it, and place the blood over the doorpost. But while you're inside, cook this lamb, have a meal, but be ready to jump out. It's over a meal. The story of the meal runs right the way through the Old Testament. We see it, this story of, um, perhaps you could argue, towards the end of the story of Genesis, this, this climactic, uh, climactic moment where, I think it's in Exodus actually, where uh, the people are on Mount Sinai and there's, there's, the, the, there's talk of the fact that if you, if you get near to God, if you're anywhere near him, if you see him, if you see his face, you'll be just be consumed and burnt up. Yet, at the end of the story of the Exodus, at the end of the story of God's rescue, this climactic point, uh, Moses and the 70 elders make their way up this mountainside and they, in the presence of holy God, it says, they ate and they drank with him. Check it out, Genesis, Exodus, great stories. The story of the meal goes right the way through the Old Testament. These Stories. By the time you've, if you've got time, read through the Old Testament, or if you've looked at the idea of eating in the Old Testament, you come out the other side, you realize that, one, that food is really important. But two, you don't just eat with anyone. You don't just eat with any old person because it's significant. Meals are like covenants. They're like accords. Something happens over a meal, it's, it's like a covenantal agreement. It's serious. It's a serious business. And finally, meals are soaked in the significance of God. God says um, in Deuteronomy, God says to the people, have these feasts, have the Passover feast, have, have the feast of the first fruits, have these feasts, have these big meal celebrations, and remember what I've done for you. So every bite, um, every bite of food there that... God's people had would be laced uh, with this significance of, of the story of God. It would, it would reek of this special relationship that God has with these people. The story of the meal in the Old Testament is a huge story, deeply significant. Moves into the New Testament and the stories of the meals carry on. When we read about Jesus, he's described as, he describes himself as coming, eating and drinking. And if you read through Luke's gospel, you could make an argument to say he's just basically going from one meal to the next. So this thought, this idea of the meal runs right the way through the Bible. But this time, this time, instead of God providing the manna and quail, for example, like he did in the Old Testament via the food, this time the person that's providing the food is one, one man, one Galilean man. One Galilean man is the provision. He sees... Um, the people going without it, and he's able to provide. And this same man, who has all of the hallmarks of 
some messianic figure, all of the hallmarks of a holy man, all of the hallmarks perhaps of God. This man has meal after meal after meal after meal with who? Well, everybody. Sinners, the prostitutes, the destitute, the down and out, the outcast, the baddies. And the people are looking in saying, what? What goes on? This story of the meal carries on right up, right up to this story that I've just read about. It progresses right up to this story. The meal, the meal, you might say, the Passover meal, the meal that speaks so richly of God. Every bite speaks so richly of God and what he's done. And what, what's happened in this little text we've read out, God, Jesus rather, has said to his disciples, go and, go and organize this place and prepare this meal. And in the story, that's what the disciples are doing. We're going to cut in at verse 13. Have a little look at verse 13. We're going to cut in there. The story of the meal, the meal, the Passover meal, reeks of God. Every bite tells a story of something that he's done. And Jesus cuts in. See verse 13, it says, While they were eating, while they're eating this meal that speaks of all this history, Jesus cuts in and he says to them, This is my body. He says to them, This this story that you're celebrating, this meal that you're have, having, that every bite carries significance, this story is what? This story is about me. This, this meal that you eat and remember God's provision, this meal that you eat and remember God's power, this, re, this meal that you eat and remember God's awesomeness, this, this is all about me, this is my story. It means whilst we know that, com- that communion with God is, is a huge thing, means whilst we know that communion with God is a holy thing, whilst we know that communion with God is something to be reverential about, whilst we know that communion with God is something to maybe even be scared about, whilst we know that communion with God is a holy event, a sacred event, it speaks of his power and all of this history, whilst we know all of that because, because of Jesus... This is the first thing that we should notice about communion. Because of Jesus, because it's his story, through faith in him, this meal that is holy, that is perfect, that, is, that will kind of blow our minds, that has all this history, anyone and everyone by faith in Jesus can have access to this table, this story, access to this story, the story of the world. So, Bear that in mind. Um, I don't know if you've missed church. I don't know how much you've missed church. I don't know if you've missed communion. But when we gather together around, around, I don't know if you can see them, around these elements, around the bread and the wine, when we gather together by the Spirit of God, when we gather together in his presence, we enter holy ground. Even, I would argue, even just now in your living rooms, by the power of his spirit, as we gather together around this story, around this table, 
we enter holy ground. We enter that massive, big, the massive meaning of that meal. And yet, yeah, it's us that gets to do it from Cass or Ponty who are dabbling in and out of our faith, perhaps wandering our way through life, struggling along this path as Christians with the, with the backstory that nobody knows about and all the rest of it. We get to enter that holy ground. I don't know if you ever have this. Sometimes you, sometimes you might find yourself at communion and occasionally, maybe you do this, maybe you don't do this, maybe you look around and you go, you look around at somebody else and you say, I'm not sure they should be taking, I'm not sure they should be taking communion. Have you ever done that? I've definitely done that. Sometimes you look at yourself and you're aware, as you come before God, you're aware of this holy story, you're aware of the significance of it all, you think, oh, maybe I shouldn't be taking communion this week. Maybe you've done that sometimes as well. You look around at everybody. Maybe you're missing everybody, but sometimes you look around at everybody and you think, man, I'm not sure any of us should be taking communion. And then, and this is the beautiful part of communion, then you remember that it's, it's faith in Jesus. It's his blood. Maybe even if you go to some churches, somebody whispers in your ear, this is the body of Christ given for you, and you think, yes, this is holy ground. This is a sacred story. And I'm just who I am, and yet I am, I am, I grab a seat at this table because of what Jesus has done for me. This is the first thing we should own that about communion. And, and hurry back to church or, or desperately wait to come back to church just to get the sense of it. It's, it's holy ground. It's a sacred story. And yet, uh, we get to be there. There are two, two places I just want to land. Two things I want us to think about in, in, the, in the bottom half of this text about what communion actually is. I think Jesus, he's got every reason to be intense in this moment. His, his crucifixion is imminent. You know, it's, it's on the horizon but he gives us two things uh, to hold on to. And I think um, as we're thinking about what communion is and why we should do it, it's worth just thinking about what he gives us to hold on to. The first thing he gives us to hold on to, to sort of cherish, is the bread and the wine. The bread and the wine. On, on the one hand, and I'm going to be careful to to present my, my, uh, my understanding, my, uh, my theology and my, my church doctrine well. On the one hand, this is, this is a symbolic service, the bread and the wine. We don't, we don't think that this is the actual physical body of Christ. On the one hand, it's symbolic. On the other hand, so I'm being careful through this little bit of explanation. On the one hand, we think it's symbolic, but on the other hand, Jesus, he doesn't just say to us, observe this, just reflect on it. This is a meal. And he says to us, you need to, you need to do something in remembrance of me. He says to him, in fact, if you look, I think it's verse 22, it's, it's almost like he eyeballs every one of the disciples and he says, take this. This is my body given for you. Take this. Grab it. Grab hold of it. It changes things, I think, when we become, when we think about this service and we understand that we are active participants in it. We're not, he's not just given us a painting to reflect on. He's not even given us a story to reflect on. He said, do this. Take hold of this. 
in remembrance of me. Changes things when we, come, when we become active participants. You'll know this, and I was trying to think of a better illustration, but you'll have to go with this one. You'll know that it changes things if you've ever been to the panto. So you rock up at the panto, and you'll miss it this Christmas, I promise you. You'll not be able to go. You rock up at the panto, and you think, if you're anything like me, grumpy, grumpy dad, this is, this is, this is for the kids. And you pa- you're completely passive, and you think, I'll, I'll sit through it because it's a thing that we do at Christmas. And yet, what happens? Within two minutes, some very flamboyant, colourful characters jump to the front of the screen, and he's shouting things at you. And en masse, everybody shouts back. We're all engaged. We become one of the characters in the story. We become the butt of the joke, or we become how they, you know, part of the search for whoever it is that's behind the person. We become part of the storyline. And no matter how rubbish the storyline is, and sometimes it's pretty rubbish, you cannot, you are viscerally engaged. You are active. You can't switch off for a second because you're going to be asked to shout something. You're part of this storyline now. And when you leave the panto, scarred by what you've seen, but you don't forget this simple storyline because you become an active participant. When... When the Jews would take the Passover, every bite, every little hors d'oeuvre, every little starter, every little drink, every little part of the meal, even, even the little bits of chat between, even the pauses, everything had significance. Everything spoke of the story of God. Everything. Even something, you'd eat something, it'd be slightly bitter. You would be thinking about the bitterness that you felt as a Jewish person lost in the desert. You'd be thinking about that story. Right the way through, it is just rich and loaded with meaning. Every chomp, every single bite. Jesus asks us to remember him. And he asks us to, as we look at the bread and wine, he asks us to chomp on it, to digest it, to chew it over, to imbibe it, to relive it, to enter into it, to own it. He says, don't just, don't just admire this. Don't just think about this. You are taking part of this. And though we're not even there, though it's 2,000 years ago, we enter into this story in such a way, I'd say, as we, as we chew over the fact that Jesus died for us, as we, are f- as we sit around the table that speaks of his sacrifice, as we take our place, undeserved place at a table that speaks about the story of the whole of human history, we are reshaped by what we eat and what we see. This is the first thing. I think that we, we, we should hang on to the bread and the wine. And as we hang on to it, as we eat it, it reshapes us and it reshapes who we are and how we think. The other thing that it does, it doesn't just reshape us, I don't think. It becomes a proclamation. That's one word that the Apostle Paul uses to talk about communion. He says it becomes a proclamation. Now when you think about it, essentially it's just an act of remembrance, really. A little bit like Remembrance Sunday that's coming up in a few weeks. Really, when you break all Remembrance Sunday down, it's, it's a minute's silence here. It's some soldiers, some old soldiers and some, some uh, 
serving soldiers that will walk past the cenotaph and you'll, you know, it's, it's a bit of our news. And essentially, it's just, it's just remembrance. But because, because it's active remembrance and because it's repeated, it says, it, it makes it a proclamation. It says, this is important. This is something you should know about. This is something you should pay attention to. This is a significant story. This, it's, it's the same thing, in effect, that we do when we meet here. Don't ever think, don't ever think that you, don't ever think that the only people that know about this are in this room. The Bible says, this story becomes a proclamation. As we, as we actively take part in this story, as we, as we join in, as we become characters, which is what I think Jesus asks us to do, we proclaim his death until he comes. We say, as we take the bread and take the wine, this, as we do it every month, as we do it at Christchurch, some people do it every week, some people do it every year, as we, but, but we have kept on doing it for 2,000 years. As we keep doing it, we, we, we shout to the world, we proclaim to the world, this is an important story. This is a significant story. This really matters. You should stop what you're doing and have a look at this story. So it viscerally shapes how we're able to remember him because it's active communion, because we've got to chew it over. And it shouts out to everybody else. That, that, the other thing that I think Jesus asks us to think about with communion, this is, the, this is the last thing. He says to us, this is a promise. This is a promise that I want you to hold on to. Now, one of the ways that we can understand God, or we can try and understand God this way, is that he's a God that makes promises. He's a God that, that keeps covenants with his people. I don't, really know, I don't really know, maybe I'll find out when I get to heaven, why, why he is this way. But he is this way. This is one of the ways that we can understand him. He makes promises. Jesus, in this section, makes a promise. He says to them, this... Now, notice, think about how he ramps up the intensity. Think about, think about the intensity of this moment. He says to them, this is, the blood, this is my blood of the covenant poured out for many. He says to them, truly, I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. So in the same way that the Hebrews would know that because they, because they slayed a lamb and they painted the blood on the doorpost, in the same way that they knew that that meant God would save them. God did save them, and they could celebrate that in, into the future, you know, hundreds and thousands of years into the future, they could do that, and they could look at that, and they could know that that, that promise, because of that bloodshed, because they, they, they could hold on to that promise, and they could, they could know that God would save them. Jesus says, in the same way, actually in a more amazing, magnificent way, you can hold on to the promise that I give you as you take this cup, you remember my death and you remember my resurrection and you can know as you take that, I'll keep my word. And it's, it's kind of a beautiful little moment. Just note, note, notice in the intensity how gorgeous a little moment it is. Jesus says to them, I'm not going to drink this again. I'm not going to drink of the fruit of the vine again until I drink it with you. This is, this is what we celebrate when we do communion. Jesus says, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait to celebrate. You, I want you to keep, 
keep taking the wine. I want you to drink, and I want every time you drink, I want you to know that that's not one time more. It is one time more, but it's one time less in effect. And I want you to know that whole time I'm waiting to celebrate this moment with you. That's what we do when we take communion. It's, a, it's an anticipatory drink of heaven. That's essentially what communion is. And you'll grasp it a little bit in your homes, but when we're together, it's a little glimpse of heaven because it's a bunch of people that meet together looking up or looking wherever God is and waiting, anticipating his return. So you ask yourself the question, why should I take communion? What does it achieve? What, what's the point? Does it, does it really cut anything in this world? Is it really is it significant? Is it going to help any? Uh, one of the strongest needs I think that human beings have at this moment in time, particularly this moment in time, it seems to be heightened in lockdown, is this sense that we, need, we want to belong. Uh, we, want, we want to find our place. We want our identities to matter. We want to fit in. We want our job to be significant. We want to find our place in the world. We want to belong. Look at what, if, if that's a struggle for you at the moment, and it is sometimes, isn't it? Look at what communion does. Communion gives us a place to sit, guaranteed, at a table we don't deserve to sit at, and a, a guarantee of acceptance that we can sit there. And we eat a meal together that makes sense of all of human history and our place within it and it screams out hope um, to people watching in but to our own souls and our own selves as well Jesus says to us from the pages of the Bible and he eyeballs us as he says it he says take it Take this in remembrance of me. And sometimes we look at it and we go, I don't know what it achieves. And then other times we look at it and we go, how can I not take it and how can I not remember? Thanks, Ash, uh, for your word um, to us. I, the Bible is full of picture language to help us understand things, isn't it? But the image of the table and being invited to the table is just a real special one, isn't it? It is, and it goes right the way through um, the story. Um, and I think, yeah, you, you realise, I don't know, hopefully um, hopefully it came across a little bit in the talk that you realise that we picked that up, really. We picked, you know, the, the idea that we get to, we get to join that story. Mm-hmm. And we become characters in that story. Just, yeah, that's... I think, yeah, it's easy to forget that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, and I think it's worth trying to... Trying to remember, because I think that's what, that's what the Bible says. Jesus says, take it, grab this. You know, this, is, this, is, this is the story, and also it gets to be your story through what I've done. So. I love the idea that I've got a place at the table, and it's the king that's invited me. I just think that's so special, and that when I come to like the place to eat it, actually I'm not... You know, when you remember like the royal weddings where like 
there was plebs miles back who got into the, who got an invite actually when I'm invited to the table of the king I'm up right there as one of his children yeah, yeah. and that's what we have in Jesus that's just it's a really special thing isn't it it is and when you, so you read those you read the stories in the gospels and sometimes you read them and you think I don't really know what you know what's what's happening here why is so Jesus is at the house of Levi people are getting hacked off people are getting upset with that and there's a, this weird mix of you know religious people and people that are messing up and then in the midst of it all Jesus as God you know and yeah, that and it is that it's the same picture that we share I think and it's really helpful because sometimes we are when we sit down to take communion we are that the messed up mm-hmm. you know and we really feel it we really go oh, man this is mm-hmm. we are messed up and yet um, somebody as I said in the sermon somebody can whisper in our ear this is the body of Christ given for you and your place is legitimized mm-hmm. not through um not through what we've done but what no. or what, even taking communion in itself yeah but through faith yeah mm-hmm. yeah so it's um yeah it is it is a it's worth just and then we're I mean, at Christchurch we try and be relaxed but at the same time as we try and be relaxed I think there's no getting around the fact that we think this is a really this is a really significant mm-hmm. holy special thing mm-hmm. And we can be relaxed about it, but it's just a privilege that we get to, to be there. Yeah. It, the verse that I read at the beginning of the service was, Come to me, those who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. And so I think that's a great verse to have in our minds. Maybe as we just think about taking the bread together, Jesus says to us, Come to the table You're invited to this table. This is a table of grace. Come, pull up a seat. I will give you rest through my body and what I've done. There is a a great song by Chris Tomlin who um, called The Table. It might be worth uh, listening to tonight as you think about communion. And he talks about the table and the fact that there is peace at the table. There is healing at the table. That God is able and he will restore. It's our prayer today that as we've taken communion together, that you've known that to be true. That you've known of the peace and the healing and the restoration that God brings. And we, if you'd like to talk to any of us about that, Ash or myself, then please get in touch. But have a good week, guys. And take care. God bless.